across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zidoro oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, is my best friend, Arif Dean. Arif, we're here, we're grumpy. There's a little bit of snarl to us today, huh? Yeah, that may have something to do with the way the series was going. That may have something to do with recording at 9 a.m. But from what I saw last night, being grumpy and snarl is going to lead to a good day. Absolutely. Let's let's make that lead to a good podcast. But, you know, those late hockey game times are killing us here. We had to record next morning just so, you know, we could get everything done Sunday night. You know, you have to write after the game. By the time you're done doing that, it's damn near midnight. They're just killing us with these games, these game times. I can't wait till Wednesday till it's actually a six o'clock game. It's funny you say that because I think that's going to be over now, uh, considering, I mean, the Avalanche lose Wednesday, they're out. But if they win Wednesday, it pushes them to Friday, again being the only game of the day. So I'd imagine it'll be a 8 o'clock Eastern primetime game. And then once you get into the conference finals, it's always at 8 o'clock Eastern. I'm from the East Coast. I know the NHL loves to cater to the East Coast. So I think we're done with those late games, and I'm damn happy with it because I damn near finished writing around 1.30 last night, and here we are at 9 o'clock bringing out another episode of this let's go well as you said there is life we're we're living the podcast another day and there's another game being played wednesday so i just want to kind of get into the simple fact that that team that we saw last night was a completely different team than we've seen all series we heard going into the game five that they were looking to play their best game of the series that's exactly what they did but i'm just wondering like where the hell was was that squad in the first four I wish I knew. I mean, the funny thing is they came out of those first four games with one win and a game two that, let's face it, they blew it in the third period. They should have had game two and they should have been in this series from the start. We should be talking about a 3-2 to Avalanche series lead and saying they ruined their chance to win it in six. They ruined their chance to win or they ruined their chance to win it in five or, or to even sweep the Dallas Stars because of those bad starts and those bad stretches. But here we are hoping that the Avalanche can pull out another game in game six and play the game that we know they can play. They are the more skilled team. They are the better team and they showed it last night. It's just a matter of are we going to see that team again on Wednesday and are they going to force a game seven and then are we going to see that team again in game seven? Yeah, that first period was unlike something I've seen from the Avalanche in a long time. I mean, they had the tenacity. They were make they were enforcing their will and just showing everybody who's the better team. And it's great to respond like that after an embarrassment that was game four. But why wait till your backs are completely against the wall to come out and play like that when we know that they're capable of doing such things? I mean, it obviously just took a couple minor tweaks. I think the defensive system obviously tightened up a little bit to protect Hutchinson. And the forwards were just playing like the forwards that we know. I just, I, I'm, I'm so baffled as to why it was such a different team. I, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't say that enough. Because as stupid as it may sound, 
they needed to have their backs up against the wall because even when you're trailing a series two to nothing, even when you're trailing a series two to one, there's still plenty of hockey left to play. And it's not the way you want to go about it. Cause I mean, the avalanche have proved all year that they're not the team that waits for the last moment. They're the kind of team that keeps their foot on the pedal. That's always winning games. They don't care about injuries. They don't care about anything. I don't know what it is about this series that sort of drew them into this little game, but I guess they needed it. I mean, their offensive guys have been slowly waking up all series long. Suddenly, they're scoring a lot of goals. I mean, they had, what was it, five in game four or in game three, the game they won. And then they had another, oh, no, they had six in the game they won. Then they had another four in the game they lost. And now they had another six yesterday. So you're looking at 16 goals over the past three games. The problem, as we know, is stopping the puck and and not surrendering the goals the other way. But the way they played yesterday, they did exactly that. They weren't turning over the puck. They weren't making those boneheaded mistakes. We'll get into the goalie thing, but they pretty much helped the guy that was between the pipes and made it easier for him because they played their game. And that's exactly what Belmar said after the game. He said, we woke up and decided today we're going to play our game because we haven't been doing it. We're going to play Colorado Avalanche hockey. And we did that. Unfortunately, it might be you know a little bit too late that they decided to do that. And that's the most frustrating part about this series is we saw how good they can be in game five but the rest of the series they've been just annoyingly bad in certain situations and you kind of just said it and that's turning over pucks entering the zone and not really making anything happen with it you know I feel like we've really seen one guy enter the zone a lot lately and he suddenly tries to cut to the middle of the ice and the defense just either pokes away the the puck or they try to force a really terrible pass and turn it over and it's been so frustrating because we know how good this team is and how much skill they have and when I look over at the other Western Conference series and watch a team like Vegas and see how quick they're moving up the neutral zone and how snappy they're moving that puck and they're creating these beautiful drop passes and just the way they move that puck that's the way the avalanche should be looking and I just don't understand what's going wrong with this much talent on your team why it takes you until game five to finally wake up and and play your best game I don't know what it is but I also feel confident that whether it was a three to one series or a two to two series no matter what the end result is, the fact of the matter is the Avalanche are not going to make it far if they don't play their game. If they're going to keep squeaking out wins the way they did in Game 3, not yesterday's game, but Game 3, the way they had to just battle back, then honestly, there really is no point of winning this series because nobody's looking for a moral victory of making it to the Western Conference Final. You're looking to make it all the way. You're looking to win it all. So if you're not going to play your game, then I'm not too caught up about them losing this series. I don't think that they're going to be able to scratch and crawl and just barely win this series and then go into the Vegas series with sudden new life and you know suddenly defeat the best team in the Western Conference. They have to play their game. And if they play their game, they're going to win Game 6, they're going to win Game 7, and then they're going to give Vegas a run for their money. But the fact of the matter is they have to play the way that we know that they can, the way they did yesterday. Five goals in the first period. Nobody really expected that. Scoring four in two minutes and 36 seconds, one off of an NHL record from friggin' 1944 is not something you're going to get every game. But the way they played, the way they handled the puck, the way they controlled play, no turnovers, lack of taking stupid penalties until the game was completely out of reach, so I don't really care about the third period. That's the game you have to play, and if you play that game, you will win this series. 
I think the real statement that came out of Game 5 and the best sign, in my opinion, and the only thing really giving me some hope here for Game 6 is just the fact that the Avs won by a lot. It wasn't a scratch and claw, 2-1, to 3-2 exactly. finish. They came out, asserted themselves, and said, no, we're taking this game. You're not even going to sniff it. Um, and so, uh, again, I think that's what gives me a little bit of hope. And it was just go back to the mental fortitude thing of this team. It's such a big difference for them to come out to a two, early two nothing lead rather than having to chase and be down one nothing, so it, it's just it's a, it's a world of difference. You know, I think some teams are better at handling that adversary adversity than others, but I think against the Dallas Stars, the Avalanche are just. Um, you know they have a tough time if they're if they're scratching and clawing and, and down early. So getting those early goals was crucial. It's gonna be crucial again in Game Six because this team just needs that confidence and they need to come out with the advantage. Because otherwise, I think there's just too much pressure on them and they they crumble if they're if they're down. And you're spot on with that. I mean the the, the fact of the matter is Jared Bednar says it after every game. He says losing uh, trailing hockey or catch up hockey is losing hockey. I got it. It's catch up hockey is losing hockey. And <laughs> it's true. You don't want to sit there playing on your toes the entire game. You want to be in control. And this team has been in control for most of the season. I don't know what's been going on with this series, but they proved yesterday, they proved in game three when they scored six goals that they are still an offensive juggernaut. They're still scoring a lot of goals. They have six players in the top 14 unscoring right now and that would be Landeskog, Granton and McKinnon, Kadri and Burakovsky and Kale McCarr. Six out of the top 14 players in scoring in the playoffs play for the Avalanche. There is no issue on that side of the puck. That whole depth thing that we had problems with in games one and two, that's gone because now Belmar's scoring. Uh, Nieto is pitching in. O'Connor is pitching in. Uh, Burakovsky obviously had a, had a rough start. Nichushkin is suddenly finding the score sheet. So you're not having any issues with the scoring. It's playing your side, your game on the defensive side of the puck and ultimately not losing a physical battle and getting worn down by a team that's playing a lot heavier and dirtier than you, which ultimately is playoff hockey. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I still think the depth scoring is something to, to consider an issue on the series as a whole. Yeah, the last two games, it's kind of gotten figured out, but it's got to stay consistent and we got to keep having it moving forward. And let's not forget, I think Ben Bishop gets the assist on a handful of those goals as well. I mean, let's not ignore the fact that without Ben Bishop in that game, it was a 3-2 game in Dallas's favor. So I'm going to disagree with you on that fact. I Bishop, Bishop didn't play a good game. He looked terrible. He looked out of place. He wasn't ready for playoff hockey. And I think the only reason, well, it is the only reason why he started was because it was a back-to-back -back and Hidobin had played a lot of hockey. But I can't get over the fact that we are not talking enough about how bad Anton Kudobin has looked in this series because Fransuz has looked worse. Kudobin has not been stealing games. He's not been making big saves. He's been surrendering a lot of goals. And you've seen it. I've seen it. A lot of people have seen it. Every time Kudobin surrenders a goal, he turns around and gets pissed. He shrugs. He throws his stick. He like tosses the puck. He, he angrily reacts to every goal he lets in because he's frustrated and he's not playing well. The only reason why we're not talking about it is because Fransuz has an 862 safe percentage in this series. And that's been the headline story. So I'm not too concerned over Ben Bishop starting that game, and I'm not con too concerned about the fact that if Hudobin was in the net, the Avalanche would have probably won the same way. Same reason why I believe if Fransuz was in the net, Colorado probably would have had the same performance and won the game because it wasn't necessarily Hutchinson making the big saves. 
it was the offense scoring the big goals. Granted, I will add that I think Hutchinson starting is what woke the beast, but we can get into that later. I'm going to go ahead and completely disagree with all of that. But instead of getting into it, um, I, what I kind of want to get more into is the fact that, you know, what's going on in Dallas's goalie's head. I like the fact that you're pointing out that Qdobin's getting frustrated with every single goal that goes past him. And, yeah, a couple of them have been pretty ugly goals. I mean, there was one yesterday where he goes to slide to his left, leans too far over to his right, and kind of kicks his leg up. And then that's ultimately why the goal went in. But I think Dallas started Ben Bishop because they were hoping to get him back. They were hoping to start using him more they were hoping this is the game he comes out he closes it out for for Dallas and they go with him moving forward well now I think they've just really screwed with his mind um, I, by putting him in too early and I now I think they're second guessing what Anton Kudobin can bring and I think now both of these goalies mentally are a little bit screwed up because of Rick Bonus of and what he's done um, kind of managing his goalies. And, I mean, you look at Rick Bonus yesterday during the game, and he's sitting there on the on the bench just losing his mind. Like, I think Dallas is suddenly in a vulnerable spot mentally, especially when it comes to their goalie situation. It's it's going up and down the lineup. It's their goalie situation. It's Rick Bonus. It's veterans like Pavelski and Como getting tossed out of the game early. It's everybody seems to be losing control and losing focus. And that plays right into the Avalanche's hands. I know the Avalanche had a couple of unsportsmanlike penalties yesterday. They had a lot of penalties in the third. But that's what happens when you know a team like Dallas is taking jabs at you and you're just going to answer back because you're not going to get tossed around all series long. You have a 6-2 to lead. It's completely fine to answer back. But the funny thing is about the goalie situation is, like you said, I mean, this isn't a Yuroslav Halak situation in Boston where you have to ride with him because Tuka Rask is not there. Granted, Boston is eliminated now. This is a situation where, like the Avalanche with Francis, you're only playing your backup because the starter is hurt. So Dallas ideally doesn't want to have to ride Kadobin. They very well could still win this series. They're in the driver's seat. They have the 3-2 to two lead, and they're in control. But if they make it to the Vegas series, are you really expecting Anton Kadobin to be a Stanley Cup winning goaltender? I mean, we've seen it with Antti Niemi. We've seen guys like Michael Layton lead the Flyers to the Cup. But if you're Dallas, you want Ben Bishop to be the guy. And like you said, that's why they went or they went out and did the things they and and did what they did yesterday and started him. That's why Bonus wanted to bring him back into the game. And what better time to do it and not take a lot of flack than on the second of a back to back when your team is in control of a three to one series? It seemed like a good idea, but I think it may have ruined what they had going because now suddenly you had Anton Kudobin who came in who let's face it he didn't really play too well he let in two goals on 22 shots which isn't horrible which isn't great he also didn't face a lot because the Avalanche were already up four to nothing and after he surrendered the goal on his first shot against to Miko Rantanen it was five nothing so now you're gonna have to turn back to him and he's a little shaky and he's you know probably in his head a little bit and then you have somebody like ben bishop who if you go back to him lord knows he's gotten in his head a little bit so what do you do this plays into the avalanche and it makes their goalie situation seem almost as crazy as what's going on in the avalanche's goal right now yeah absolutely i think just a couple more reasons that i'm throwing fuel on the fire for game six for us to really believe because from what I'm seeing, I think there's reason, there's hope, there's goal scoring going on for Colorado, and the Dallas goaltending situation and coaching situation is a little bit nuts, and you know, not sure they have the uh, they have the mental fortitude to to 
close this out. You know, I'm starting to really question what Dallas has between the ears. Um, but while sticking on that discipline train that you kind of mentioned, you know, I think I was okay with Kadri there kind of getting a little bit nasty when you have the big lead and, and losing a bit of discipline to kind of send a message, but it's a, a slippery slope. You know, one, once one guy starts towing that line and, you know, pushing back and fighting back and, and getting involved into the stuff that Jamie Ben and Blake Como and Corey Perry are trying to incite, that's when you start to lose the game. And I think they were almost at the verge of letting it get away from them. And, and the Avalanche ended up scoring one and kind of stopped all momentum for Dallas. But it was all the discipline thing again. And it was all dumb penalties that, you know, reactionary penalties, not hardworking penalties, but the, the ones that the refs are always going to see. And uh, I'm just a little bit frustrated by them not realizing it's been an entire series. Why are you still falling for what Dal these traps Dallas is trying to set for you in, in trying to draw penalties and, and catfish you into getting the power play? You know, it, it's really frustrating for me. It absolutely is. And I agree with you on that. I did make the point earlier that you're up five to nothing and you're up six to two. It's okay to answer back and retaliate. I stand by that, but I also don't feel good about the fact that the Avalanche in close games have been doing this too. Like you said, it's been happening all series. And teams like Vegas with Ryan Reeves on the bench, who's been getting all up in, in Vancouver's skin this entire series. If you want to win this series, that's what you have to deal with next series. You have to deal with Reeves and all the guys over there too. So you need to get out of that habit of taking those retaliatory penalties. Sam Girard took an unsportsmanlike conduct. Read that again. Listen to that again. Sam Girard took an unsportsmanlike conduct. In what world is Sam Girard the kind of guy to take an unsportsmanlike conduct? He was, he was, he was. Yeah, it's it's all in the head. He was. Uh, he was tussling with Tyler Sagan halfway through the second period. Sagan's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's a hell of a lot bigger than Sam Gerrard. So Dallas is getting in their head. But despite all of that, I can't judge them on it based off of yesterday. I will off of the first four games. But in a game when you're up 5 nothing, in a game when you're up 6-2, to two, and the losing team starts to take those extra hacks and whacks and jabs, you're not going to sit back and just point to the scoreboard the entire time. You're going to answer back. You're going to take penalties. And you're going to be okay with it because you have a four-goal lead. So I'm not entirely upset with what they did yesterday, but it's the fact that it's the same thing that was happening in the first four games and the chances of the Avalanche jumping out to a 5 nothing lead in game six are very slim. You need to be careful not to give Dallas's top guys on the power play an opportunity to take control early like they did in game four. And it bums me out that we have to see Sam Gerrard kind of the one that's fighting back here. You know, I think we saw Ryan Graves really stand up for a lot of his teammates yesterday, but this is where you kind of miss Matt Calvert. This is where you'd like to see Nikita Zdorov really get in there and make a presence felt and, and you know, toss somebody around, even if you have to get a two-minute penalty during a four-point lead. Um, you know, I'm okay with it because you got to send the message that they're not here to be bullied. I talked about how last podcast I think that Jamie Benn is doing this stuff because he feels like he can get away with it. Nobody's going to come and step up to him, and nobody's going to do anything. We saw Ryan Graves a little bit, but I'd love to see somebody with a little bit more size than Sam Gerrard, you know, make a send a message and say, hey, Quit messing with us in this way. Like Blake Como, what is he doing? Who who is he? I used to love Blake Como. <laughs> Blake Como was on my first my first 
one-on-one interview six years ago when I first started uh, covering this team. My first one-on-one interview, Blake Como. I walked away from that interview saying, that was the nicest hockey player I've ever talked to. What a gentleman, so polite, was calling me sir. I was 25 years old. I'm like, why are you calling me sir? But what's his problem now? I mean, this this is Blake Como. This is playoff hockey. This is this is the kind of game you want to play in the playoffs, and that's exactly why I'm okay with Sam Gerrard doing what he was doing and being the guy to do that. Because we were talking a few games ago about who should replace Eric Johnson in the lineup. You know, the big tough guy that would probably be the one doing this if he was healthy. Well, the avalanche went with Kevin Kanaten. I didn't like the decision from the start. Connaughton looked fine, but 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 you're going to have a lot more from somebody like a Connor Timmins. So now suddenly Gerard is paired with Timmins. Who's going to be the one to stand up for them? They're either both going to sit back and take the jabs and take the heap in the crease when you're scuffling with the Dallas forwards, or one of you guys are going to grow the balls to do it. And Sam Gerard is that guy, and I like it. You can't rely on you can't rely on Connor Timmins to do that, so why not Sam Gerrard in that situation when those are your two blue liners on the ice? My problem is that it's reactionary. They're doing it to retaliate. Nobody's the one that's starting this. Like I said, I want somebody to send the message. I want somebody to be on in, in the Jamie Benn role from the Avalanche, and they're the ones starting it and saying, hey, you're not going to be screwing with us. Not Sam Gerrard saying, well, hey, yeah. do not mess with me. I, I fight you back. No, we need to have <laughs> the guys Gerard. sending the messages. And- but that's what you're missing. That's what you're missing with Matt Calvert out of the lineup. And you know this. I know this. And the, the best way for the Avalanche to send a message now, and, I mean, you have somebody like Nazem Kadri who could happily take that role, but Nazem Kadri's got eight goals and five game-winning goals again yesterday, both games in this series. So you don't want him to be doing that. So the best way for the Avalanche to send the message is to use their offense, jump out to a big lead, and then when Dallas sits there and takes jabs at you, you laugh, you point at the scoreboard, and you take those jabs and hacks and whacks right back. You retaliate, but you do it in an efficient time when your team is leading. It's not always going to happen, but at the same time, that's the best way for the Avalanche to send a message right now. Rick Bonus wasn't going cuckoo on the bench because somebody was running around on the Avalanche and hitting all his top guys. Rick Bonus was losing his mind because he was trailing five to nothing and let in four goals in two minutes and 36 seconds. There's the message. There's the way that you fight back. Yeah, I'm with it. I love it. I think that's the best thing you could do. I mean, you, you, you take them out of the game with goals all the you know it, it's really meaningless what they're doing after whistles but you know I think Rick Bonus was also really frustrated with his own team and, and more specifically Corey Perry I think everybody's getting sick of the way he's playing <laughs> um but moving on I wanted to get into Burakovsky of course two goals last night I think that's pretty big we have now realized that he's big in elimination games um yeah he woke up for this game I, my question is do you think he can string together a few more for uh, game six why not he's he he didn't just wake up yesterday and play a big game he was a big factor in game four uh sorry in the game three victory he had a lot of points in the game four loss and then he had three more yesterday he's up to three goals and six points over the last his last three games i he's a confident guy he's got a wicked shot as jared bedner put it last night after the game and there's no reason why when i asked him about his uh eight goals over his last seven elimination games dating back to his days in Washington. He said, I like playing under pressure. I've been finding success and I can't really put a finger on it, but I enjoy playing big games. And those are the guys you want on your team. I mean, we've seen the big players on other teams that struggle in big games. We've seen guys that start to develop that reputation and Burakovsky doesn't want to, nor will he be that guy just because of the way he's shown up in these big games in his career. And 
there's no reason why we can't expect it. He's suddenly up to 14 points. He's suddenly in the top 10 in NHL scoring, and he's suddenly firing on all cylinders, whether playing with McKinnon or with Kadri. It's it's hard not to imagine that he's going to continue this production. Yeah, I've said so many times how much I enjoy him playing with Nathan McKinnon, but he's just been so bipolar, and it's it's good to see him figure it out, and hopefully he sticks with it because the other side of Andre Burakovsky honestly is really depressing. You see even Coach Jared Bednar yeah. get really down on when Andre Burakovsky plays bad, but when he plays good, he plays amazing. He puts up two goals. Yeah. He skates with Nathan McKinnon, so... The good side of Andre Burakovsky, uh, you know, hopefully is the guy that sticks around. I love what he brings to the game. His shot reminds me of Nail Yakupov's, um, just the, the laser that it is, the quick release, the speed, um, but obviously a much better version upgrade on Nail Yakupov as, as long as he's playing that, that good style he knows how to play. So hopefully for his sake, he keeps it going. I agree with that. And, and the, the funny thing is about Burakovsky is he's got to have the best point production per minute in the NHL because he's got six goals. He's got 14 points. He was playing 11 minutes a game when Bednar was not too happy with his play. And looking at the ice time from yesterday, he played 11 minutes and 44 seconds. Granted, a lot of that has to do with the fact that when you're up 5 nothing, 6-2, it's easy to rest your top guys. But it's just hilarious how much production this guy has with such little ice time when he's literally your third best winger, he's in your top six and should be on a consistent basis if he shows that he can play that game. Right, and when you think of that depth scoring, I think Andre Burakovsky is one of the first names that pops in your head. Kadri, Donskoy, and maybe Comfer. So you need those guys to be buzzing, especially when one of them, Donskoy, is out of the lineup. Yeah, for sure. And once Donskoy comes back, he's going to take over his role as the top six winger on the other side of that line with Landeskog or Burakovsky and Kadri in the middle. Uh, you need all the scoring you can get right now, and they're getting it from everywhere. Uh but at the same time, you just don't want Burakovsky to get back in that habit of, let's face it, not being that good defensively and uh, turning the puck over and at the wrong times in the wrong to the wrong guys and uh, trailing behind and having to rely on your wicked wrist shot, not to take a lead, but to itch and claw back into a game. And uh, kind of circling back to what we were talking about a second ago with the discipline and staying out of the box. Well, it, it's been a, it's been bothering me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one so bad lately because the PK has not been great. They've been surrendering a ton of goals while a man's short. Um, I like to think that that's more a factor of bad goaltending for the Avalanche, more so than the, the Avs actual PK doing terribly. But you just got to look at the unit as a whole, and the PK is just struggling. I mean, what what's going on with the PK? What do they got to do to figure that out? It's all in their head at this point. The Avalanche have great guys on the penalty kill, and Matt Calvert is obviously a big piece of that. But you still have Belmar. You still have Nieto and Comfer and Ryan Graves and Ian Cole and all these guys. Yes, you're missing Eric Johnson too. But like you said, I think it's more of a factor of bad goaltending. I think it's also, and we can't negate this fact that Dallas Stars have been hot offensively since the end of that Calgary series, and their top guys are buzzing. And when they get a power play, those top guys are confident, and they're and they're scoring. They're scoring at will. When you have McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog scoring goals at will, we don't sit here and talk about how bad the other team's defense is. We talk about how good the Avalanche's offense is, and we need to give credit to the Dallas Stars' top guys. They're the reason why they're scoring at will, and obviously the Avalanche goaltending hasn't helped with that. But I think that's ultimately what it is. So you're going to have to deal with that. 
tomorrow in game six on Wednesday and possibly in game seven on Friday. And you're just going to have to live with the fact that if you take penalties, you're probably going to let in a goal. So moral of the story, don't take penalties. Absolutely. Discipline's going to be the biggest thing. And hopefully they bring the offense that they had last night because that's kind of seeming what it's going to take against Dallas. We've touched on it a hundred times, but if you're not scoring five goals against Dallas, you know, you're kind of putting yourself in a tough spot because Dallas is more than capable of scoring five goals. And exactly what you're saying, it's because of the potency of their forwards right now. And and the same goes for the Dallas Stars. That's the funny thing about the series. If you don't score five goals on the Avalanche, you're not going to win. And even in game four, when they jumped out to a three to nothing lead, Nemesnikov scored with three seconds left to make it five to four. And you're sitting there as a Dallas Stars going, we jumped out to this early lead. We had a five two lead and that fifth goal still mattered. That's a problem. Again, it's all about the mental side of the game right now. Both of these offensive units are going. Both of these goaltending units are a little bit shaky. It's just a matter of who's going to capitalize to take control of a game. And is it going to be Dallas winning it in six or seven? Or are the Avalanche going to force a game seven and ultimately take the series? Yeah, and I think execution of game plan has been a big thing too. I think the Avalanche suddenly switched up their game plan a little bit on Dallas and it caught them off guard and it worked. So if they could just do that again and execute and make sure they stick to the plan, um, you know, I think the Avalanche can force a game seven. And man, that would be awesome, especially with this series right here. There's so much hatred brewing. I'm starting to wonder, is this the new rival? Sometimes I feel that way after every playoff series. I mean, I remember... The one most notable for me, I think, was Nashville a couple seasons ago. After that, I was like, ah, I hate Nashville. Nashville might be my least favorite team now. Well, two years later, I don't even care about Nashville. But it feels like this Stars team is starting to create a, a bit of a new rivalry here. The reason why I feel a little bit more confident about this rivalry sticking around more than the Nashville one is in order for a rivalry to really matter, I mean, unless you're Toronto versus Montreal or Toronto versus Boston or Toronto versus anyone in order for a rivalry to matter, both teams need to be good. And what's happened to Nashville since 2018 has been the exact opposite of that. And that's played a big factor in this. Colorado sort of has that mentality of, I don't really care about those guys anymore because we have Dallas and we have St. Louis and we have these other teams in our division and our conference to deal with. Why the hell would we waste our time with the Nashville Predators who are struggling to make the playoffs and can't beat Arizona in a five-game series? So I think that played a large factor in what's happened since that series. Um this Dallas series seems a little bit different because I don't think Dallas is going to be a bad team anytime soon with Haskinen and Hintz and all these guys and Sagan and Ben and Pavelski's there for a couple more years. Blake Como's got another year on this deal, I believe. So it's going to be really hard for this series to fizzle, for this rivalry to fizzle out. But I'm here for it, man. The Avalanche and the Stars were the kings of the Western Conference with Detroit in the late 90s. We all remember 1999. We all remember 2000 when the Stars made the cup final by beating the Avalanche in Game 7 of the Western Conference Final two years in a row. And it's hilarious how the Avs won two cups in those years, but there was still blown opportunities to do so much more, and it was because of the Dallas Stars. If it gets into that Game 7, and if the Stars manage to beat you again, you're thinking back to that. Not the players on the ice. Half of them weren't even bored, like Sam Gerrard and Kel McCarr, but... As a fan base, you start to look back and you say it's those damn Dallas Stars ruining our opportunity to be not just a cup-winning team, but a dynasty. And that is what sets you up for a big rivalry. And we know in in the future, when they get back to the normal NHL playoff format, there's a good chance this is a first-round meeting the next couple years to come, and that's just going to 
uh, intensify that hatred and, and that level of, of uh, rivalry. And I think Jamie Benn playing like the prick that he is and Corey Perry also just really make it super easy to hate this team. Yeah, and I mean, Blake Como, your favorite sir man in the world from the days with the avalanche suddenly <laughs> is an asshole and it's easy to hate him too and that's why players like Como are the kind of guys that you love when they're on your team but when they're on the other team you learn to hate them real quick absolutely and can't forget about Radulov I mean he hasn't necessarily been too big of a prick in the series but just the look on his face and the angry Russian he is yeah he he's just got the <laughs> kind of face that you'd love to punch Absolutely. But uh, before we move on and get a little bit more in-depth, I got to tell you about DraftKings. With football right around the corner, there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving all the new users a no-brainer to start the season. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. On top of that amazing offer, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter the free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code MHS to get in on all the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, and this is Colorado only. Other terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And I think the simplest way to take advantage of that $100 million in giveaways at DraftKings is to give all of our listeners the same advice you gave me last night, and it's hammer the over this series is going to have a lot of goals in game six, possibly game seven, just as it has in the first five. Yeah, and it's those alternate lines that I think is really what's making DraftKings special for me lately. You can go in, and if you don't like the over-under, like yesterday, for example, it was at six for the Avalanche. Well, you can go back and take the normal 5.5. You can take a 4.5. You could take four. You could take three. You could take all these alternative lines that I think are, are just awesome, and we see it right there in that read. Did you not hear that? They're giving Kansas City... 101 point spread that's ridiculous that's an alternate spread. it's gonna be hilarious when the kansas city chiefs win by 102 defending super bowl cha- yeah <laughs> they defending super bowl champs have mahomes run for a hundred thousand yards and they win 106 to three well that's just an insane offer from DraftKings. i wish i did a better job on that read i get i give myself a c minus on that but but moving on uh we got to get into matt hutchinson michael hutchinson uh Michael or Matt? I don't even know. This is how this is how Michael. Michael. That's Michael. what I thought. I don't it's, know. It's early. It's okay. It's early. Yeah, I think I think Matt Hutchinson is the is the uh, guy in charge of altitude or H- Hutchings. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking <laughs> about um, you know, and we were talking earlier about how Anton Kudobin, Ben Bishop, that these are the guys that the Dallas Stars are are having to uh, decide who they need to go forward with. But it's tough because even if you do get through the Dallas Stars here, are you gonna have to do it with Michael Hutchinson? I don't think so. I 
and I'm saying this with no basis, and we're going to talk to Bednar in about four and a half hours from this exact moment. And follow me on Twitter at RunRightArif, and I'll be tweeting all about the roster news and everything we hear from Bednar. But I can't get over the fact that I just don't think Francis is out long term. I don't think he's severely injured, and I could be wrong. But the way that Sunday played out, the way that the Game 4 loss played out, it just seems to me that he was overplayed. He's got a lot of soreness going on, and he just was not going to be able to get through a back-to-back. The same way that if you go work out on a Sunday, you feel like you definitely need a break on a Monday. I feel like that's what's happened with Pavel Francouz. And I feel like starting Hutchinson woke the beast And I feel like getting that victory is great, and it's a thumbs up, and I love the dude. He's the nicest guy, and Bednar called him a great human being because that's exactly what he is. But at the same time, you do not want to have to rely on Michael Hutchinson to win this series. You need Francois back. You need Francois to be able to look at the forwards and say, you see that performance you gave Hutchinson? Play like that in front of me, and I'll take care of the rest. And you need him to get you through this series. And if or when Grubauer comes back, he'll take over. But if not... Francis is the guy, not Michael Hutchinson. Right. Hutchinson did fine. He did okay. And he didn't have to go in there and be stellar. He just had to go in there and be average and uh, just make a few saves here and there. That's exactly what he did. Nothing amazing, kind of exactly what we expected from him. I think he did a great job of not allowing rebounds. Because if you remember back when the Avs first signed him, that was my scouting report on him is the fact that he's terrible when the rebounds go out. His recovery is awful. And that's when I I think he's kind of gets to be more closer to an AHL level goalie. But he wasn't allowing those, so he was able to play a strong game and finish with a win. But is it, do you think it's realistic if he starts Game Six to expect um, you know a stellar performance out of him? Just because we know his I mean he's done great. He's been fantastic with the Avalanche. But we know his past. We know kind of what he is capable of um, in, on on the negative side of things. So do you think it's fair to expect a a strong game out of Michael Hutchinson? No, but at the same time, they could still win the series. The fact of the matter is right now, the way this series has been going, goalies are not stealing games. You're not winning two to one, three to one. You're winning on offensive force. You're winning on capitalizing on turnovers, capitalizing on power plays. You just need Michael Hutchinson to be good decent like he was yesterday not necessarily to steal any games is it ideal no do you expect to win the series with Hutchinson no but it is possible and it is doable but ultimately you want Francis back in the net you want the Francis that shut out Dallas what seemed like forever ago three and a half weeks ago in the round robin you want Francis to be the guy to go forward but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that Hutchinson wins this series while not stealing any games like I remember when I said last week when I said that it's giving me flashbacks of that Nashville series when they had to play Andrew Hammond. Yeah. It's it's feeling like that again. And it's just like, oh well, this is the only guy we got, so let's hope for the best. Well, the best happened in game in the last game. Let's see if it can happen in game six too. But I'm with you on the Francis thing. I think the unfit to play thing was really key here for the Francis situation. Because you don't have to say, uh, he's not injured, we're just resting him or you know, you don't have to say anything. And I think you're spot on. I don't think he's hurt. I just think he's a little bit mentally tired, and he needs just a quick break. He needs a deep breath. And physically exhausted, yeah. But he, I, I agree with you on that. The funny thing is, like, unless Bednar comes out today and says exactly that, we don't expect Francis back anytime soon, then it, he's not going to show his hand on who's starting yesterday, just like he didn't for Game 5, and we're all like, ah, oh, it's going to be Francis. And it turned out to be Hutchinson and Miska in goal. 
the fact of the matter is, unless Bednar comes out and talks about Hutchinson having a specific injury and being out for a foreseeable future, like he said with Grubauer, like he said with Johnson, then we know it's probably going to be Francis tomorrow. Uh, if he's not starting, he'll be on the bench and he'll start the potential game seven. But I fully expect Francis back in net. I hope I don't have to bite those words once we release this and Bednar comes out with more news. Hey, don't worry. I went on the air in Winnipeg, TSN Radio, and said that same thing before yesterday's game. So, hey, sometimes we have to eat your words. When you're spending all your day trying to make a thousand predictions, you're going to get some of them wrong. So don't worry about that, Arif. But I'm a little bit nervous for what Francis, if he does get the call, just because, you know, I've been saying it this whole time. He, He gets nervous. And if he's nervous, I'm nervous. You know what I mean? I need the confident guy that's going to step in there and say, you're not, you're not scoring shit on me. This is my net, and uh, I'm going to take over this series. I'm just worried that that guy does not exist in the Avs locker room right now. No, but it very well could. Again, number 39, I have hope in this guy. He's proved it all year. He's proved it his entire career in the KHL and in the Czech League, and he proved it in the AHL. And he deserves another shot. We've sort of gotten on, you know, we've we've gotten on top of him for his performance earlier in the series, and deservedly so. I'm not by any means backing up how what he's done. Again, 862 save percentage, terrible numbers, but he can do this. And maybe having that day off, seeing that his team can score, seeing somebody like Hutchinson just have fun, like he said in his post game. He said, "I wasn't nervous." He said, "I wasn't stressed. I wasn't." Feel, feeling any pressure i just wanted to go out there and have fun i was excited and i went out and i had fun maybe watching that will help because i think it's a mental game more than it is an actual skill game with these goaltenders and you know that and i see you nodding your head uh with sheer force right now because you know how it is you look like patrick wall when he used to sit there and just nudge his head back and forth in net and it's exactly what it is and i think francis once he gets a little bit of that calm demeanor he's going to play a lot better, and that's what I'm hoping for tomorrow with him hopefully starting. I like that Avs fam shirt. Shout out to those guys, the one that says, Frankie says relax. And, you know, I think if Frankie says that, he needs to take his own advice and, uh, you know, just play a solid game and play relaxed because I love that that uh, quote out of Hutchinson. Just, you know, I wasn't really thinking about the the results i was thinking about just having fun and being positive i think frankie needs to do that because in in his head he might be a little bit negative and down on himself right now just go out there have fun play your game do your thing let the you know enjoy watching that group of forwards in front of you they're so awesome to watch um namely uh, somebody who's really impressed me and has been awesome to watch and that's logan o'connor you know he started the scoring off last night uh, with the assist on that first goal um, it's just great to see that fourth line set the tempo the speed. and great to see how quickly he can move down the ice. Yeah. The speed for him to get to that puck and set up Belmar was the exact type of start you needed. We've seen Dallas starting the Cogliano, Faxa, and I'm missing somebody, uh, Como line all series long. And that line has been setting the tone for the top guys to come out and win games. And that's exactly what Belmar, O'Connor, and Nieto did yesterday. The more I see O'Connor play, the more I'm happy with what he's doing. And the the happier I am with his opportunity because the the, the chances of Nieto returning this summer are pretty slim. I'm pretty sure he's going to be gone in free agency. And now you have number 25 who you can slot right into that line with Belmar, with Calvert, 
and know that he's going to play well. So props to O'Connor, props to Belmar. That's the exact type of start you need from your fourth line in order to set the tone. And I think what's nice about Connor is we don't know where his ceiling is, or O'Connor, sorry. We don't know where his ceiling is. He, he's slotted on there with some fourth liners who are fourth liners. They're going to be fourth liners probably for the rest of their career. Well, Logan O'Connor probably can definitely move up and down the depth chart. He's got a lot of skill, a lot of speed, and things that, you know, things that he can bring to different lines, I think. You know, I really, I really feel that's insulting to Nieto and to Calvert, who have been second liners <laughs> for the last couple of years in Denver. Uh, that brings us to Connor Timmons, another guy that stepped in, filled the role. I think he did pretty solid. Uh, you know, I don't think he did, you know, too strongly either way, but he did just fine. He did what you needed him to. He did, and and that's the kind of game that I wanted from from him, and that's the kind that's the reason why I wanted him to replace Johnson when he was first injured, is because he's going to come in and give you a solid fifteen minutes. He's not going to turn the puck over, or take penalties. He's just going to grow and develop his game, which is what you want from a young guy, especially somebody who you know had to deal with some concussion issues and has come back stronger and probably has a future with this team. So it's great that he's getting that opportunity. It's great that he's taken advantage of it. And I'm excited to see where it goes from here because he's got a high ceiling and he's only 21 years old. And I think they really simplified the defensive structure last night, um, which I think benefits him. You know, they want to put him in in a situation like that where he doesn't have to overthink and just protects the freaking goal and block shots. It's, It's as simple as that. Last thing I wanted to get into before we wrap up the show the way we always do and that's the referees. You know, I never like to throw stones at the refs. They're good guys. They, they're doing their best out there. But in all honesty, I think the refereeing has been awful, not just for the Avs, not just against the Avs, against the Stars, and against every other team in the NHL. I think league-wide it's been pretty bad. Do you think the refs maybe had too much time off, or, or what's their excuse for being terrible right now? Because I even was watching Vegas the other day, and there was a phantom high stick call on Jonathan Marcheseau. His stick wasn't even around. It was actually his own teammate that got him in the stick. Um, you know, I just think, or got him in the face, I think the refs have been super shaky lately. I think it's really easy to pinpoint specific plays like that and and really call out the referees for that. But I'm going to just say this because we hear this every single year in the playoffs with the referees. I think we just have to come to the conclusion that refing an NHL hockey game in the playoffs is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. And you're never going to win. You're like the guy that heads the, the, the disciplinary, the NHL player safety, where whether you're Shanahan, whether you're Brian Burke, whether you're Stefan Kintel, whether who is it now? Uh, um, George Peros, no matter who it is, you're always going to eat flack because it's not an easy job to do. And you're going to get some flack as a referee as well, because it's just not an easy job to do. And we talk about this every year in the playoffs. We talk about how bad the refing is. And I think we just have to come to that realization that it's it's always going to be a hard job to do. It's a thankless job. You're always going to hear about it. And as a team, as a, as a player, as a franchise, you just have to find a way to regroup and get through those bad calls and take advantage of the power plays when you get them. How do you not catch on to Corey Perry's antics? He's been doing it for years. He's been doing it for 15 years. I have no idea. But he finally got two penalties yesterday. He had four penalty minutes, and I think they're starting to say, chill out, chill out, and calm it down. We're on you. But ben, but Jamie Benn had zero penalty minutes yesterday, and that's a little confusing to me. Yeah, absolutely, the way he's been playing. 
Um, last two things I wanted to get off my chest as well. I think it's hilarious how we were told we'd be hearing a bunch of player sound between the whistles because there's so many microphones and now there's just so much cussing and they have the editing that all you hear is the... It sucks. It's terrible. They got, they got, some, they got somebody back there with a boom box and just sitting there and playing with his... <laughs> He's he's DJing all the sounds and it's it's hilarious. It sounds funny. It looks funny, but such is the life in 2020. Everything is just funny. And then lastly, I'm just so freaking tired. And this happens every NHL playoffs of the commercials. The commercials have gotten to a point where they're driving me nuts. Especially the lady with her fresh cup of Joe. This is. Have you ever watched Family Guy? The 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 the, the scene with Peter Griffin and you know what really grinds my gears. I think we should do one of those episodes once a month. You know what really grinds my gears with JJ and just let you unload on all of this stuff because it seems like you're having a rough morning and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I told you I was grumpy. Um, but yeah, I, I used to have a, a co-host, several co-hosts ago. He was a grumpy guy. And I always wanted to have the idea of instead of doing the three stars, let's let me do the three stars and you do the three opposite of stars because he was the same way he was kind of always pissed off at something but i don't know what's gotten into me today hopefully that translates to a fiery game tomorrow for the avalanche in game six but that brings me to our fan highlight of the week where we highlight a tweet that we got from one of our um followers i guess you can call him um this no. one's a doozy, and you're going to be the one to read this one because you're the one that got the response. Yeah, I don't think any of them are, are listeners just yet, which is what makes this uh, segment so much fun because we tell them, hey, you got shouted out on our show. C- come take and a they're listen. Like, what show? Yeah, they're like, you have a show? Who are you? Um, <laughs> yeah, but this tweet coming from um, the name J, which I love. I love the mysterious the J. The ambiguity of it with the handle J-M-L-K-K-L-M-J. Which is a palindrome. You can't fool me. I, I know a palindrome when I see it. But it was an amazing tweet. He responded to me. You know, I got a lot of responses to this. And Watch I asked. The I asked during game five, what do you, or game four, sorry, what do you even say if you're Jared Bednar after that first period when the abs go down four? Do you use the put it behind us approach or what the F was that approach? And this response made me laugh so hard out loud. He says, This is great. Fastball and energy drink into the wall and lose your effing mind for five minutes. Side note, once had a coach literally piss himself. He got so heated during intermission. Now, just thinking of that in my head and just thinking of some of the coaches that I've hated throughout the years, how funny it would be to just see him pee his, pee his khakis. And and to know that this is a coach somewhere in the States or possibly Canada who makes like $500 a season and does this on the side because he hates his corporate cubicle job is what makes it even more hilarious. If Jared Bednar pisses his pants, people will laugh about it for about five minutes. But when some worst- guy... When some guy does it who's just doing it as a side gig because his son is 17 years old and plays hockey and he wants to coach <laughs> his kid's team, it makes it all the better. He wants to be involved in his kid's life. That's what he gets. And the, the worst part is you know that at one point this guy had to leave the locker room and that's when the players just started digging into him for peeing oh, his own yeah. pants. And they, they probably still talk about it to this day where, oh, no matter absolutely. where these guys are. Hence, JMLKKLMJ doing exactly that on Twitter however many years later. But yep. I'm going to I'm gonna come out with a Twitter fan highlight and a fan highlight of my own, and it's Tony Lucan. I think he follows you as well. This guy's been one of my longest followers, and I, I, I love all the support he gives me. It's at the Lucan, L-U-K-E-N-T. And 
after game four, after the Avalanches fail of a game, I tried to ask a question to the players. I believe it was Landeskog and Burakovsky, maybe. And I was talking, talking, talking. And then suddenly I heard, unmute your mic. And my mic was unmuted. And I kept trying and it didn't work. So I basically got shut out of my Zoom question. And I said, well, I just had my first Zoom fail when trying to ask a question, such as journalism in 2020. So hooray for that. Tony Lucan responds and goes, you got Avs first perioded. I'm here all week. And it was just great after that game. To, yeah, exactly. And it, I responded back with a simple, hey, oh, because that's exactly what it needed and what it deserved. So it's not as hilarious as the tweet from Jay, but it was a good tweet at a great time when the Avalanche had a terrible first period and we needed a little bit of comic relief that night. So shout out Tony Lucan for the comic relief. Shout out Jay, J-M-L-K-K-L-M-J for your hilarious response. Keep them coming. We love them and we are more than happy to share your tweets on our show. Those journalistic blunders are always fun. They make yeah. you feel really terrible about yourself, but you know, months, years down the road, you look back, and that's that's all part of the journey, right? It's all part of of the bumps and, and everything like that. They are on the road of whatever the hell we're doing here in this Avs locker room. Um, that brings us to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star. Number three goes to Logan O'Connor just because I think how important that play he made in that pass on that first goal to really spark the avalanche and get the Avs scoring going was huge. It was a great play. I've enjoyed what I've seen from him, and I can't wait to see what he does in the Avs sweater moving forward. You got to remember, this guy made a very ballsy move when he signed his contract with the Avalanche. He was a free agent, and he was a senior at Denver University, and he had just been given the captaincy for his senior year and I believe it was a two-time captain and it was sometime in August late in the summer possibly even September he said you know what the Avalanche have come knocking I'm gonna take this offer and he took it knowing that he's gonna be playing in the AHL possibly hindering his development it was a ballsy move it's paid off he looks great shout out Logan O'Connor 100% I love that breakdown there star number two and it's gotta go to the guy who scored two Andre Burakovsky, right? We mentioned how the last couple games he's really kind of figured himself a little bit um, there and got himself back on skating with McKinnon, and it worked out for him. And it doesn't matter who he's skating with right now. He's he's skating well, and that's just what you need to see. Again, we talked about how when it's important, you think about the depth guys. He's the guys that you think about, so you want him to be playing to his best. He's just a happy guy. He reminds me of Miko Rantanen. When he's going, he's just a happy guy in the locker room, and that's what you want from him. And it's great to see him succeed because the Avalanche need all the offense they can get if they get past the series because Vegas will be waiting. He had assuming a- Vancouver, assuming Vancouver doesn't come back from down 3-1, but that's a little bit of a s- smaller possibility than the Avalanche winning this series. And not having to do with anything at all. Yesterday I saw a picture of him walking into the rink, right, with the squad of guys, Landis Gog, McKinnon, Kadri. And I noticed in Burakovsky's hand, he had a can of snus. And I tried so hard to figure out which kind of brand that was. For some reason, I've always been interested because as a, a chewer myself, I don't chew anymore now. I use those wimpy Zin um, snus imitations. But I've always been interested at the guys who do chew. I remember sitting next to Ray Bo- Rene Bork and noticing he chews Cope Long. I remember JT Confer loves Grizzly Wintergreen, personal favorite of mine as well. I was trying so hard to see what Burakovsky is chewing, but I couldn't. But it's cool you know, to me that he does it. I, I don't chew, I never have, but as a college student, I worked as a gas station clerk, and all of these brands are bringing back some dark days, so let's move it forward, buddy. 
and that's star number one. I try so hard to not give him the star, but he makes it impossible. That's Nathan McKinnon, plus it's his freaking birthday. Happy 25th birthday, star number one for your two good buds over here at Hockey Mountain High. Shout out Nathan McKinnon. Happy birthday. 25th birthday. He's well in his prime right now when he's he's got many years to come of this kind of dominant play that he's shown the last three seasons. But there's a great statistic to share on Nathan McKinnon's birthday. Nathan McKinnon leads the NHL with 23 playoff points in 13 games. Last season's playoff leading scorers were Ryan O'Reilly and Brad Marchand, who had 23 points. Ryan O'Reilly won the Smythe last year with 23 points in 26 games. McKinnon has matched O'Reilly's production in half the damn games. And it's only the second round. You hate to waste a year when McKinnon is playing this well. You got to get through Dallas. You got to let him do his thing against Vegas. You got to let him do his thing against the Stanley Cup final. In the Stanley Cup final, if it gets that far, let him raise the consmite. Let him win the heart. Let him celebrate this friggin' psycho year that it's been, 2020. Shout out Nathan McKinnon. Your production is not going unnoticed. I'm with you. It's a travesty to have the best player in the NHL and the guy who's producing the most out of anybody, and you have him on the verge of getting kicked out of the playoffs. Everybody in that lineup needs to step up their game for Nathan McKinnon. Play to that level. Play to the back against the wall. Desperate. They're doing it. Burakovsky's doing it. Belmar's doing it. O'Connor's doing it. Timmy they did it. Gerard, McCarr, they did it. All they did it. They got to do they it again, it. and then they, they got to do, do it one more time yes. after that. I'm with you. I loved what Correct. they had, but they got to repeat and repeat and repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat, and then we can look ahead and we could, yes. you know, they just got they got to do it. It's in them. We, saw, we obviously saw it. The fight's there. Just got to do it. Just got to do it. I'm so excited. This is the biggest game. It's like the Flint, Flint City Me- Mega Bowl. Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl. I, That's what it feels like. I, Denver, I, Colorado Mega Bowl. I don't know. I don't know what the Flint City Mega Bowl <laughs> is. I, I do know that the last oh, five. Oh, you've never seen Semi Pro? No, I haven't, and I do know that you've gone a little cuckoo the last five minutes. I didn't see you put any <laughs> caffeine into your system, so I don't know what's going on. But this is a great time to end the podcast. We love you guys, and I'll let JJ take it from here. Let's see if he can handle himself. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know. It must be a morning thing. I just got a little bit of energy right now. Um, I'm, but I'm yeah. ready for breakfast, and you look like you're ready to go run through a wall. <laughs> I'm just pumped about this game six. It's going to be the biggest game we've seen in a long time. I love the hatred that's brewing, the intensity, the tenacity on both sides of the ice. This has just been the funnest thing. And not to mention, we've been deprived of of good hockey for four months. So let me enjoy it. Let me have my fun. Everybody else, I hope you enjoy watching game six and uh, come back with us to uh, recap it afterwards. We're definitely going to be here podcasting again for you. Hit us up on Twitter. I love all the interactions we've been having lately with all you guys. At Run Right Arif, at JJ of the Year. That being said, hockey's for everyone, and we at you.